Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you today. My name is Ben Phillips, and I've been a friend of Milo and Aaron's for a long time. In fact, I was trying to recall uh, how old I was. I think I was 13 when Milo and I first met, and I know I'm a few years older than him, so I think he was probably about 10. And uh, I've known them for a long time, and, and we were great friends growing up. I also uh, got to know Aaron uh, growing up as well. And I can tell you that Nate and Aaron are some of the best friends that anybody could ever want. And I hope you guys recognized how privileged you are to have such an amazing pastor and wife. And uh, just uh, praying with them and just so thankful for, for the relationship that I have with them. And I'm sure you are as well. I, uh, I'll never forget the, the moment that uh, Aaron, or the day when, when Aaron decided to place her faith in Christ. And uh, what a neat experience that was to be friends uh, with Nate and Aaron through that time. And, uh, and I know that when Aaron came to know Christ as, as her Lord and Savior, I think it kind of created a spark um, within me. And I think within Milo, and you're going to hear me call him Milo Nate. I'm sorry, I've known him since I was a kid, okay? So, so just bear with me, all right? Um, and... Uh, but, uh, you know, when she came to Christ, I think that created a spark in us. We, we've stayed close over the years. Um, as we got older, we were in each other's weddings and uh, have always been good friends. And uh, God took us in different directions and then brought us back to western New York. So I'm about an hour south of here and uh, lead pastor at Central Baptist Church down there. They're, they're having service uh, right now. They're just, just starting our second service there. And so I, I'm just... Uh, Glad to be with you guys today. Glad to dive into God's Word with you. Um, I wanted to show you a picture of my family. This is a picture of my wife, uh, Candace, and our four oldest kids, Caleb, Madison, Gavin, and Mason. And I want you to remember this picture, okay, because I'm going to refer back to this in just a minute, because we're wearing some, some harnesses there and some helmets. Obviously, we don't always walk around with helmets on and harnesses. Um, and then the next picture is of our surprise baby, Jackson. And he was born this year. And uh, we haven't had family pictures yet, so I didn't have a picture with all of us in it yet uh, to show you, but I, I wanted to show you that. I figured you'd, you'd love that. So, um, but if you think back to that picture you just saw before that, we were in harnesses because we were, we were at a summer camp down at, at uh, Bethany Camp, which is down near Jamestown this past summer. We are going to go zip lining. And uh, if you see this next picture, it's of our eight-year-old Gavin. And uh, I was on a zip line right next to him and got some footage of him going down, and, and he loved it. And if you know our family, we'll try anything. Uh, even if it sounds a little crazy, we're probably going to try it and uh, like to do different things. And so we, we all did the zip line, and we loved it. We had a blast. And uh, when you think about this zip line, they, they harness you in and... Uh, they, they, they put this carabiner around, a, around the, uh, the cable connection before you ever even get off the ground. And then you got to climb this ladder, and when you get to the top of the ladder, there's, there's, uh, there's some steps there, and you get up onto this platform, and there's kind of a defining moment when you're kind of right at that edge where you have to step off and go. And once your feet leave that platform, there's no turning back. You're going. And, and I'm sure for some people they're screaming because they're happy. I'm sure that some are screaming because they're terrified. 
um, we were screaming because it was just a blast and, and we loved it. But as I thought about that moment from this past summer for our family, I thought about the title for this morning. I thought about Nehemiah 10, a defining moment. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews around you, it's on page 514. And last week, uh, Mario took you through chapter 9 and talked about the need for confession and repentance and the greatness of who God is in the midst of all of that. And, and the spiritual awakening and, and costly recovery that you looked at over the last couple of weeks must be followed up with a defining moment. Uh, maybe, maybe you didn't realize this, but today is Veterans Day. It's, it's November 11th, and actually today is the 100-year anniversary of the end of World War I, which marked the start of this idea called Veterans Day. In fact, could I just do this for a minute? If you are a veteran or if you're currently serving in the military, would you just please stand so we could honor you today? Don't hesitate. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. We, we, we are privileged to live in the United States of America, and we're privileged to have men and women who have willingly put their lives on the line so that we could have freedom. The freedom that we experience right now to be able to dive into God's Word. So thank you all very much. That, that moment a hundred years ago was a defining moment. It marked the end of World War I, and it was supposedly the war to end all wars. And yet, wars have continued to go on since then. It, it, it was supposed to be a defining moment that marked the end of something that wasn't going to happen again. And when you begin to talk about defining moments, it's often, it, it, it's often that these defining moments really decide whether they're going to make it or not in the, in the moments afterwards. It, it's not the actual signing of a treaty that marks the defining moment, but it's the process that follows that and the time that comes after that that marks whether that moment on November 11th was a defining moment or not. We see the same thing in Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. When, when you look at chapter 9, it's about this covenant, and then as you come into chapter 10, it's still about this idea of a covenant, of an agreement that was made. So take a look at the end of chapter 9. It says this in verse 38. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So they've had this agreement that this is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to do it. This is how they're going to live as a nation, the, the people of Israel. And so they, they come up with this document in the sealed document. And then it says this in chapter 10, verse 1. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and Zedekiah. Those are two main guys, Nehemiah and Zedekiah. And then there's the names of the priests in verse 2 through 7. Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Melchijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Malchuk, Haram, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Majamin, Maaziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah, these are the priests. <laughs> now I know why Mila wanted me to fill in for him today. <laughs> I already told him, I said, listen, I looked at chapter 10. I know what goes on there. 
I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to read through all the rest of the names in this chapter, all right? But it gives you this list of the individuals whose names were on this document. In the, in the beginning of verse 1 there, it says, on the seals. A seal signifies a, a legal agreement to a written document. Here the seals refer to the signatures of these leaders. In this case, it's signed by Nehemiah the governor, Zedekiah, along with 21 priestly names, 15 of which are the names of families. And when this agreement in chapter 10 is signed, it was a defining moment. It, it, was, it was saying, hey, this is what we are all about, and this is what we are going to do. This is how we're going to live. This is the people that we're going to be. You know, when you study the Bible, there's, there's other lists that are throughout. And then when you come to the end of Revelation and you come to Revelation chapter 21, it also talks about another list. That can I tell you, you want to make sure your name is on. In fact, in Revelation 21, as John is giving us a glimpse into the future, into what's to come, he says this, And I saw no temple in the city, Revelation 21, 22, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. And then notice this last phrase, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me ask you, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? In other words, have you asked Jesus Christ to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life? When, when, when we come to the end of, of this life as we know it, will your name be a name that's on this special document that's talked about in Revelation 21? As we think about this passage and as you think about that, if you're taking notes this morning, number one, seal the deal. Seal the deal. Make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no greater defining moment in life than when someone gives their life to Jesus. You know, I, I showed you a picture of my family earlier and I can think back to my wedding day 18 years ago, and, and I can think back to the birth of, of my kids, although now that there's five of them, they're starting to run together a little bit. But uh, those were special days. Those were awesome days, and, and I am so thankful for each of those moments. But there's no moment that is, was more critical in my life than the moment when I gave my life to Jesus. There's nothing that comes even close you, you might think of something that you've had to do in life, opportunities that you've had, and you might think, man, that was awesome. Can it get any better than this? Listen, it doesn't get any better than giving your life to Jesus. That's what it's all about. And what you recognize when you begin to understand the Word of God and when you begin to think about eternity, you recognize that the greatest defining moment in life is when you give your life to Jesus. So have you sealed the deal you know, when I think about the, the picture of, of us on the zip line, and I think about that moment of, 
of getting to the edge of that platform and ready to go off on the edge of that plat platform and go down the zip line. It, it may have seemed scary, but the leap of, of, of faith was rewarding. And when we talk about giving our life to Christ and sealing the deal, it may sound intimidating to you in the idea of, wait, so what's going to happen if I give my life to Christ? Do I got to live differently? Do I got to, hold, hold on a second. It may seem scary. And you might think, oh, I don't know if I want to go through this. But when you take that leap of faith, it'll be the most rewarding thing you ever do in life. I'm not saying that life is going to be easy. In fact, it's not. It's probably going to be hard, and there's times that will be difficult. But when you jump off and you take that leap of faith, that defining moment, life in this life as we know it is wrapped in a hope and a peace that exceeds anything this world can offer. So have you sealed the deal? Have you given your life to Christ? In this moment here in Nehemiah 10, these individuals were sealing the deal. They were making it known. They were making a covenant, an agreement that this is what they were going to do. Well, it continues on in, in verse 9. It says, and the Levites signed it, Joshua, and it goes through the list of Levites in verses 9 through 13. And uh, of the 17 Levitical names, some of, of, of these are family groups, some are individuals, some are, are individuals that had come back to Jerusalem. And then in verses 14 through 27, it gives us the list of all the other leaders who signed the deal, the chiefs of the people. And it goes through and it lists each and every one of those names. And then when you get down to verse 28, it tells us this, the rest of the people... Everybody else, like if their name wasn't on it, it says this, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves, remember that phrase, we're going to come back to that, it was critical in chapter 9, it's critical in chapter 10, all those who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, listen, it's the idea that all of them, everybody was included. All of them signed it. All of them said, you know what, even if my name's not on it, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this agreement that's made. And a huge part of, of the covenant that we see there in verse 28 was that they were to be separated. And Mario talked about that a little bit last week and talked about what that meant and, and to be separated and and, and, and the idea was that they were to be really just sold out for God. This commitment that they're about to make, we're going to see in the next verse in a, in a few moments. You don't need to go there yet, but, but it, it's, it's going to be evidenced in two ways. No, number one, it's going to be evidenced by a curse that if they didn't do what they agreed to, they're going to be inviting God's wrath upon them. We don't know how or in what form. Maybe a form of calamity. Maybe back into captivity. And number two, it was evidenced by a commitment of an oath. See, God required his people to be committed to him and him alone. And when you think about this idea of, of God requiring his people to be separated, to be different, it, I, I think a great illustration is marriage. When you think about marriage in, in a level of commitment, in order for a relationship within a marriage to thrive, not even just survive, but to thrive, they need to be fully committed to one another. And God says, listen, I'm fully committed to you. Will you be fully committed to me? And the people are signing this document, this covenant, saying, we're all in. 
We're committed. We're about this. We're going to do it. And as we think about having a relationship with God, the same is true with us. God calls his church the bride of Christ. And when we think about who we are as individuals, if we're followers of Jesus, and as we think about churches, we need to think about the relationship that we have with the Lord, that we need to be committed to him and him only. That's this idea of separated here in verse 28. So number two there, be separate for God. Maybe, you know, you've heard the phrase, in the world, but not of the world. It kind of helps you give you an idea of of what he's talking about when he has this idea of, of being separate. Matthew Henry says this, Conversion is about separating ourselves from the course and customs of the world and devoting ourselves to the conduct of the word of God. Okay? In other words, it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm done doing life my way, God. I've tried, it doesn't work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do life according to your word. And when we give our lives to Christ, when we seal the deal and make that commitment, when we've had that defining moment of this is how I'm going to live my life, then we take and in turn we live our lives according to God's word. Which leads us to point number three, walk in God's word. Walk in God's word. If the people were to remain devoted to the commitment that they had made, they needed to continually walk in God's word. They needed to follow God's, as as we look at it from their perspective, the Old Testament law. And they needed to follow it. So take a look at verse 28 and now with 29. And let's look at these together and notice what's going on. The rest of the people, all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands of the law, of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, verse 29, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. We talked about those two evidences, right? The curse and the oath. To walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. I underlined a couple of words there for you because I wanted you to notice them, okay? They're, they're all referring back to when you read words like, like law or commandments or rules or statues or ordinances. It all points back to the people saying we are going to follow God's law. And when we think about it from our perspective, we think about the idea that we need to be individuals that follow God's word. And all that he's pointed out for us. And if you notice the way that some of that's worded, they say we are going to follow this. We're going to follow the laws of the Lord, our God. And it's personal for them. And they're focused on their relationship and the need to live it out before them. Right, right now, I've been, I've been teaching through this all fall through the book of James. And uh, so I've had the book of James on my mind quite a lot recently. And in James chapter 1, James talks about this idea of knowing God's word and of living it out. He says this in James 1.22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Like, I don't know about you, you think about that verse, like how is that even possible? Right? Who looks in the mirror and they get everything just the way they want it, and then they walk away and forget what they look like? And James uses this idea to to recognize the difference of a hearer and doer. He says this, 
for he looks at himself, goes away at once, forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the gospel, the word of God, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Listen, it starts with hearing. It starts with hearing. You, you got to know the word. You got to be in the word. I, I would encourage you. Listen, I think it's great that you're here today. And I think it's awesome that we have this opportunity to come together and worship together. But this is not enough for you, okay? You, you need to be in God's word in the middle of the week. Just, just one, one time of week of, of being in God's word isn't going to sustain you spiritually. You need to study it on your own. I, I, if you've got a smartphone, I would encourage you to download the YouVersion app. I don't care if you do it right now. <laughs> download it. Download it. Check it out. And download a Bible plan, a solid Bible plan. There's a lot of Bible plans. Download a solid one that gets you into God's Word every day because it will transform who you are. In fact, I, I've been connected with I don't know how many dozens of people now in our church that are on the Version app. So I, we're always taking a look at, hey, what, what are people reading? What's going on? And, oh, hey, they finished their plan. Awesome. We, you can connect in so many ways, and it brings accountability, and it brings help, and it, and, and it brings fellowship as you read through God's Word. Get in God's Word. Walk in God's Word. Be a part of it. If you're going to live it out, you have to know it. And then you need to do it. Well, in verses 30 through 39, they spell out the commitments that they are going to follow through with. I'm going to fly through these next group of verses. And notice what I underline. It's, it's things that they are specifically saying they will or will not do. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land. Note, notice in verse 31, we will not buy crops on the Sabbath day or a holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year. Verse 32, we, we also take on, our ob, on ourselves the obligation to give. Verse 34, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses at appointed times, year by year. Whenever they were on the schedule, they said, we're going to do it. We're going to bring it in. I, I don't know about you, I, I burn firewood to heat my home. And... Uh, I cut it myself, we split it ourselves, and I tell you right now, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have chainsaws and wood splitter and five kids. In fact, I, I plan to, like, by the time my, my youngest is old, I should have grandkids by then, then they can help me. The, these people here are saying, you know what, we're committed to doing this. It wasn't easy, okay? It was hard, and they're saying, but we're going to be committed to following through with this. Verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of the ground, the first fruits first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Verse 36, also to bring to the house of our Lord our God, the, the, the priests and minister of the house of our God, the firstborn, verse 37, to bring the first of our dough, in the middle of verse 37, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. They said, we're going to do it. We're committed. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites. Notice the accountability here. 
When the Levites receive the tithes, the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouses. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring, we're going to do it, the contribution of green, wine, oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. They didn't leave any doubt in anybody's mind. They spelled out specifically what they were going to do. Everybody knew whose job was what and, and when they were supposed to do it. And they followed through with what they said they would do, which brings us to point number four. Follow through. Follow through. We're really good at getting excited about things. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, woohoo, sign me up. But when the day actually comes, when it's our turn, do we follow through? If you are into sports at all, I'm, I'm into sports, I love sports, follow through is critical in just about every sport. If it involves a ball, it's pretty critical that you follow through. Because when you don't follow through, your shot will be off the mark. It's not going to go where you thought it would. And I think the same is true with our intentions as followers of Jesus. If we don't follow through with what we say and do, doesn't happen. In fact, take a look at what James says in chapter 5, verse 12. He quotes his half-brother Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath. He's talking about this idea of oath. Think about what we've read about covenant agreement. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, if we're ever going to fulfill the opportunity of a defining moment, it only comes with follow-through. It only comes when we stick with it. Defining moments are often seen in crisis moments, in difficult times that help us see what's really important. And or when we receive information that changes our perspective. I'm going to ask the, the band to come at this time. And while they're coming, I want to tell you, over the years, I, I've seen a lot of people, I've been one of them myself, that have responded to the teaching or preaching of God's Word. And maybe it was a defining moment for some of those individuals. Maybe it was in a church service or, or at a camp or at a conference, but... But oftentimes when people are convicted by God's word, it's almost like there's this defining moment of sorts that takes place. In fact, Pastor James McDonald from Harvest Bible Chapel out in Chicago calls it a crisis moment. And he says this about the crisis moment. I want you to catch this. He says, don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to the crisis but I am persuaded more than ever that real transformation is about the process. Change is about thousands of choices that are made in the moment. Instead of sitting in church waiting for the preacher to move us in some deep way so that we can have a crisis that's more of a crisis than a crisis we've ever had before, why not make a choice to change? It's thousands upon thousands of little choices, one at a time, one after another, that lead to real transformation. And so as I've thought about this idea of a defining moment, you can see this up on the screen, it says this. A defining moment 
is often a crisis that leads to a process. Maybe for you today, today's a defining moment. I hope that it's the start of a process. Not just an emotional decision that's made, but a choice that we are making to follow Jesus. Maybe when you think about it, you're thinking about seal the deal. Maybe today's the day you need to seal the deal. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. We want to encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to speak with any one of the, the pastors or the leadership here, anybody around you, maybe somebody you came with today that you know attends here. Talk with them about it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how you can seal the deal. But I pray that it would be not just a crisis decision thing that you make, but it's the beginning of a process that changes the rest of your life. Maybe you... Maybe you realize you need to be committed to God's word. Maybe you need, realize you need to be in the world, but not of the world. You really need to separate yourself. I want to leave you with this. A continued spiritual awakening requires a defining moment. But you will only see that defining moment come to its full fruition when you follow through with minor decisions day in and day out that over time will lead to major transformation. Listen, church, it's, it's a privilege to be with you today. It's a privilege to dive into God's word. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to follow through with commitments that you've made. Maybe you're a regular attender here and you know what this church is all about. And, and you could maybe even tell us what the, what the purpose statement of this church is and what it's really all about. Listen, follow through. I want, I want to encourage you, let, let, let your, your pastors, your leadership know, hey, listen, just want to remind you, I'm on board. If there was a document today, would you sign your name and say, you know what, I'm on board with what this church is doing, what it's all about. I'm all in. The people in Nehemiah chapter 10, they made that choice. They put their names on the line and they said, we are all in. I hope that you're all in, and I hope that you recognize there's nothing greater than living your life for Jesus Christ. Lord, we come before you, and we thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. And we ask and pray, God, that you would help us not just to be hearers only, but that we would walk out these doors and that we'd be doers of your word. And as it says in James, that we would be blessed by our doing. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.